boy, there's a lot in this passage. And, um, and it goes to the extremes of age. I think some of that might be what, um, what appears that this speaks to people in their youth and it speaks to people whose youth has escaped them. <laughs> and it has something to say to, it basically has something to say to everyone. This is one of those passages that, that, that looks at the entire, the entire human experience and says something very particular to it, which is, it's summed up in the conclusion. What's 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 the point of the really the entire book? What's everything that that Solomon's been saying? Fear God and keep His commands. That is the duty of all humanity. That is what all humans are designed to do: is to fear God, is to put God in His proper place at the center of our lives, and then keep His commands. Do what He says. Live according to the way that. God says, this is how I designed for you to live. So we, we've already read the conclusion, but this, uh, this passage has a number of things that we can look at to be able to apply to our lives in the coming week, and really weeks and months. So uh, let's, let's get right into it. And the first is this reminder that and I've given it a couple of times now, I think almost every week, but Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes, um, and he says to his son, and essentially to, to not just his son, but, but to those who came after him, to try to teach them what wisdom truly is, which is to fear God and keep his commands. But he does it by looking at what life is like under the sun, making a basic assumption of, well, what if there is nothing else other than life under the sun? And it's ma it makes this book pretty depressing to read through because it focuses on all the parts of us that we would rather not pay attention to. All those, all those sins, whether they are public or private, they're revealed or hidden, that we just don't really enjoy dealing with. And it cuts to the heart of really uh, Canadian, well, North American culture that takes all sorts of different things, whether that's money or our jobs, education, pleasure, um, possessions, all these things that we can put at the center of our lives in place of God, which is called idolatry. We take all those things and put them at the center of our lives. And Solomon comes in and says, you know, that is sin. That is, a, that is evidence of the fall in the world. And life under the sun is marked by that, by that sin. And the mark of sin is death. Our sin leads straight to death. And until God comes to renew all things, sin grips our world tightly. So Solomon wants us to get to think about death because he hopes, I think, that by being confronted with our death, we'll take stock in our life and think about, well, what kind of life do I actually want to live? And what kind of life was I designed to live? What kind of life will be the most meaning-filled life possible that I could possibly live in these short, these very short few years 
that that really all of us have left. Well, Solomon gets right to it by getting into the the meaninglessness of youth, <laughs> of young age and vitality. And he starts off by by creating this metaphor between light and darkness, light being a reference to life and darkness being a reference to death. And so you see light is sweet. It pleases the eyes to see the sun. However many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all, but let them remember the days of darkness for there will be many. What he's saying is you're only going to be alive for a certain number of days. And then the, the days that you are going to be dead are going to be a lot longer than that. So take stock of the days that you have, because the days after are way way, way longer. There's way more of them. Youth and life is like that light of day, but the nighttime is coming and it comes for everyone, just as it does um, even now. The sun sets for everyone. And so what do we do with that time from our, from the sunrise when we're born to the sunset when we die? What do we do with our life? between those two moments. Well, Solomon says, well, while you're young, during that time frame, <laughs> be happy. Be happy. Enjoy your life. Don't look at death and then be, be startled into inactivity of not knowing what to do and, 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 and not living your life and enjoying life. He says, no, enjoy your life. Let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. God doesn't want us to not enjoy our lives. God wants us, designed us to, to, to really enjoy life. And God wants us to experience the most joy-filled life possible, the most wonderful life uh, we can even imagine. Which part of that means being able to enjoy good gifts. And part of that means, um, you know, experience the full range of, of the human experience. But being able to keep our joy in the midst of those things. So we can experience suffering but still have joy. We can experience hardship but still have joy. And we can experience a, a plentifulness and still have joy because our joy isn't related to any of those things. Our joy is related to our relationship with God. So he says, Solomon says, you know, while you're happy, be, while you're young, be happy. Let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. And he, he goes a little bit even further than that. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. <laughs> Follow your heart. This is the thing that that we often say to um, to youth now, this is sort of the, the 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 thing of our culture. Go follow your heart, be be the true you, and and you do you, and all this sort of stuff. Solomon says the exact same stuff, but he adds a caveat. He says, "But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. For all these things, God will bring you into judgment." For everything that we do, whether we do it in public or whether we do it in private, 
God will bring it into judgment. God will look at it and say, is this how I designed for you to live? Is this how you, I taught you to live? Is this how I invited you to live? Or did you live in a totally different way? And we have to answer for that. We have to answer for the use of our freedom in our life. God will judge us. God will judge you for all that you do. And so how, that should, that's a perspective shifter that should change how exactly we go about following our hearts to give us joy and how we go about um, following whatever our eyes see. Well, we can do those things, and God wants us to do those things, but within specific parameters of what, what doing those things means for human flourishing, really. And there are some things he says, no. You know, you can, you can, um, you, using the Ten Commandments as an example, your eyes and the ways of your heart might lead you to covet your neighbor's wife. And God would say, no, don't do that. <laughs> That's just bad. That's bad news bears. And if you do it, you're going to be brought into judgment. You could just covet other people's things. You know, there's um. Uh, maybe maybe you maybe you don't struggle with this. I'm a bit of a gamer. I like games, and there are all these new video game consoles coming out um, that are basically sold out everywhere. But every once in a while, I see someone who has it. And I'm like, oh, I really want that thing. I really want that because it'd be fun, and it has high definition resolutions, and it's super fast, and I really want it. <laughs> well, if I was to follow my heart and and follow where my eyes go, I'd be like, okay, well, I'm going to go and purchase one of those things, or I'm going to go steal one. And scripture says, well, you know what? We, I don't have the funds for that. And stealing is wrong. Both of those things are irresponsible. And so it's actually more wise not to follow my heart and follow my eyes in those instances. Keeping in mind that I choose not to do those things because I'm going to be judged for what I do. And that's a pretty benign example. But there are all sorts of ethical quandaries and questions that we come up to on a daily basis. That if we really asked, okay, what, how does God instruct me to live in this situation? It, and, and remind ourselves, I will be judged by God for how I deal with this, how I walk through this. It might change how we go about things and it might actually draw us into getting to know God more so that we can discern what his will is in different situations. The chapter says, you know, banish anxiety then because uh, banish it from your heart, cast off your troubles because youth and vigor are vapor. That is, while you're young, don't allow anxiety to crush you and and don't allow the, this fear of your body getting older, essentially, get in the way of you enjoying life because your youth and your vigor are a vapor. It's going, you, you try to grasp it now and it's just going to go away. Take it from a 32-year-old. I'm not that old. Your youth goes away. And it, you only realize it in little bits and spurts. Like I, just this year, I've started having heartburn for the first time ever. And that's when, I, that's when I started feeling a little bit older. <laughs> it's weird, 
But those little tiny things, those little things where, where the troubles of your body remind you that you're not as youthful as you think you are anymore. And I, I bet all the folks who are older than me are saying to themselves, yeah, you just wait, buddy. <laughs> it's going to get worse. <laughs> there, are, there are all sorts of things about your body that are going to remind you that you're not youthful anymore pretty soon. We can learn, this is, this is where it's great to be in a community, a multi-generational community, because we can, we can remind each other of exactly what this passage is telling us about. The, the, the people who are our elders are able to say to our youth, hey, live your life to the fullest while still fearing God and, and keeping his commands, because you know that youthfulness and vigor are going to fade way quicker than you think they will. And then the, the youth and vitality, the, the, the vigor of youth can, can really quicken um, the, the relationships uh, within, within a community and, and make it cohere a little bit. And that, that vigor invigorates other people really interestingly. So we need, we need multi-generations in, in churches and communities. Anyways, that's, that's, um, that's getting off track a little bit. Chapter 12, verse 1. Remember your creator. And this is where Solomon is getting to really his, his final points. Remember your creator. And then after, after saying this, uh, remember your creator in the days of your youth. And then he gives three before statements that describes a whole bunch of things. So it says, remember your creator in the days of your youth before, in verse 1, the days of of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Those days of trouble for Ecclesiastes are death. When the days of death come, remember God before you get to the point where you're on your deathbed. Remember God before you get to that point where you've lived so long and experienced so much pain that you want your life to be taken from you. Remember God now before you get to that point so that you can live a meaningful life. And he's not going to describe even what a meaning-filled life looks like until the very end of the passage. Remember your creator, God, before those days of trouble come. And then in verse 2, it's another one, and this one is a much longer description. Um, and, and it's building this imagery that's that we sort of have to read into a little bit because it's not very clear exactly what he's trying to say. Um, but most, um, most scholars think that he's really using these, Solomon's using this, these different metaphors that we're going to take a look at in a second to describe old age and what happens to our bodies as we get older and older. So we see in verse 2, remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the rain clouds return after the rain, when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they are few and those looking through the windows grow dim, when the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades, when people rise up the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint. When people are afraid of heights, 
and of dangers in the streets when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along and desire is no longer stirred. Then people go to their eternal home and mourners go about the streets. What's he saying? Essentially, remember, remember God, your creator, before your body starts to break down, we can break it down in a number of ways. Um, this first, the, the, with the sun and the light and the moon and the stars growing dim is likely a description of your of, of vision loss. Um, the keepers of the house trembling and the strong men stooping are almost certainly a description of, of, of your, your loss of muscle capabilities that, you know, as you get older, the strong men aren't able to be strong men anymore. And, um, and well, the keepers of the house aren't able to, to keep the house. They'll, they tremble just because of, because of the, the loss of muscle control. And those, those strong men stoop because their muscles change and, and, and cause them to, to bend over involuntarily. The grinders cease. This one was a, is, is a bit tricky seems to possibly be referring to teeth, that you lose teeth. Uh, the grinders cease because they are few. And those looking through the window grow dim. That is, they lose their sense of their surroundings. When the doors to the street are closed, the sounds of the grinding fades. You lose your hearing. When people rise up to the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint. That's, a, that's again, loss of hearing. When people are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets. This is when you become more fearful. And this just happens, eh? And I think it's happened quite a bit during the yeah, I think we I think I think many of our elders would agree that this season of the coronavirus has actually been a bit more fearful than maybe any other time in recent memory in Hamilton because all these other health issues that you might have make you uh, more more likely to to become very very ill from the virus compared to someone who Who's like me, just just a just a youthful, invigorated person. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I'm laughing because I, again, I'm not actually that youthful, and uh, I'm pretty low key. So you know, but you get my point, right? That fear is something that actually comes with age. That as we age, we get a little bit more fearful of different things. We can get a bit more fearful of, of the cities around us. We can get more fearful of, of viruses, about getting sick. Fear starts to creep in. And Solomon says, you know, that's, that's actually a thing that just happens. It's not something that we look at and be like, oh, there's something wrong with you. It's actually, no, no, no. That's a natural part of aging. But for, for youth then know that and remember God before that begins to happen. And again, this is, this, all of these are a metaphor for aging. The, um, the, 
when the almond tree blossoms. Have you ever seen an almond tree? They, they blossom white, um, and so it seems to be a description of white hair, of gray hair. But then what happens after the blossom? It all falls out. So it's, all, it's, it's both this image of, of, of beautiful white hair, but then also of, the, of, your, of hair falling out. It's, it's, a, it's a really complex metaphor. The grasshopper not be just dragging itself along seems to be a loss of mobility. And then for Solomon, right at the end, and desire is no longer stirred. And this is this is a fellow, he's basically saying your sex drive disappears. You're you're and, and this is a fellow with thousands of concubines who is known for his deviance in this area. And he says, Yeah, when you get older, it's just gonna that that drive is just gonna disappear, it's gonna fade away. And he know he knows what he's talking about, writing this just before his death. And he says, you know, after all of these things happen, after you've begun to lose your vision, lose your 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 muscle strength and capacity, lose your teeth, lose your hearing, become fearful of sickness, lose your gray hair, lose your mobility, and your sex drive disappears, then what happens? Well, death comes and there's mourning in the streets. And he's telling this to youth. But this is also something that we should, that as we get older, we should actually take this to heart as well. Because he's basically saying, he's reminding us, our days are short. So what are we doing with our days? Our days are short. So what are we doing with them? And then a final before statement. He says, remember him before the silver cord is severed, the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring, and the wheel broken at the well, and the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to the God who gave it. All of these images of the, the cord, the bowl, the pitcher, the wheel are all instruments that you would have needed to get water from a well. So what he's saying is, remember God, remember your creator before you're unable to get water anymore. And what happens if you can't get water? You, the, you know, take the water out of your body, you just turn to dust. That's what he says happens. The dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to the God who gave it. Why remember? He's telling us to constantly remember God, remember God, remember God. Why remember? Because I, I think remembering does a couple of things for us. Remembering first reminds us of who God is. And he, he, he's very clear. He says, remember your creator, which reminds us that we are not our creators. We are not gods. We are creation. And it immediately puts us into right relationship, at least the, be, the, the beginning stages of right relationship with God, of knowing who we are in relation to God so that we can fear him appropriately. Remembering reminds us of who God is. And that leads towards hope if you know God. Remembering God, remembering our creator, also recalibrates us. As, as Solomon's been going through this, it should be recalibrating how we think about our lives and how we take stock of our days, knowing that our days are getting, the number of days that we have on earth drops by a day every day for our entire lives. Every day that passes is, 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 a, is another one we don't get back. You know, this, we, we have this phrase, oh, I can't get those two hours back. If we watch a bad movie or something, well, we, we can't get those, that, that hour and a half back. We can't get those two hours back. We can't get those three hours of The Hobbit back. Um, guess what? You can't get any of the hours back. <laughs> they never come back. 
Once, once they're gone, they're gone. So how are we using them? How are we living during them? Remembering recalibrates us to start asking that question and remembering our creator also reorients us back towards our creator. If we are engaging in life in a way that doesn't take stock of the, of the days and the hours that, that doesn't remember that our days are numbered. Remembering God reorients us back towards that fact and reorients us back into right relationship with God so that we can begin to live as he intends for us to live. Remembering brings us back towards God so that we can avoid living in regret. This is something that, that especially as you get into your older age, this is, this, is the, this is the thing that most people say, this is what we struggled with. We regret something about the, the way that we lived our lives. Here's the thing I think that we should be that we should be most regretful for is is or that we should most avoid about living in regret. It's living in regret when we're standing. If if we don't want to get to the point when we're standing before Jesus and we completely regret everything about our lives. We don't want to get to the point where we're standing in front of Jesus. And he says, I told you these things. I told you this was how I wanted you to live. I told you that this is, this is what it meant to, to live fully as a human being and to flourish as a human being. And you didn't do it. And we immediately sense that regret of like, oh no, what have I done? We don't want to be there. We don't want to get there because when we get there, it's not good. We don't want to stand in front of Jesus. And him say, I never knew you. Get away from me. The only thing that we can do right now about that is to be is 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 really trust in him and build relationship with him. Remembering puts us on the ground to be able to do that. Remember your creator in the days of your youth so that when you are not a youth. You, look, you can look back on your life and say, I have feared God and I have kept his commands and I have firm standing because of my faith in Christ that when I get to the judgment day, everything's going to be okay. So this final section describes, this, describes the teacher and the, and the teaching he gives. Um, we won't read through it, but it sort of rehashes the book and says, you know, everything is vapor in verse 8. Meaningless, meaningless. Says the teacher, everything is meaningless. Everything is vapor. There is nothing in this life that you can grasp fully hold of. Everything is a vapor. And because of the curse of sin in this world, we all experience death, which makes things even more vaporous. And this passage, the passage, the end says, this teacher who wrote this, all this stuff was wise and sought out this wisdom, was careful with his words, and his words are true. And so listen to his teaching. This is something we see again and again in scripture. Scripture says, don't just listen to God's word, put it into practice. Actually do it. Don't just listen to it, do it. 
Which brings us to his concluding sentence. He says, you know, all of this book can be summarized in just this one sentence. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all humanity. Fear God, keep his commandments, this is the duty of all humanity. And he reminds us again, God will bring every deed into judgment, every, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil, God will bring it all into judgment one day. I think this is, this is where we get a bit practical, maybe, because what this entire book is trying to tell us is that the curse of sin really shows how, how meaningless a life without God is. If all that is under the sun is all there is, um, what's the point? What's the point? The entire point of this book, the entire reason Solomon's writing this and why we've studied it is to, is to try to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ by reminding us of, of our sin and reminding us of our rebellion and trying to point us towards the God who can save us by telling us this is a curse that you're living under, but there is one who overcomes that curse and turns the curse into blessing for you. Of course, this is the point of all scripture, is to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ. That's what 2 Timothy says to us um, in chapter 3, verse 14, verse 15. Chapter 3, verse 15. Oh my goodness. But what does this mean, being wise for salvation? It means knowing who we are, that we are creatures and God is creator, knowing that we are rebellious and that we naturally don't want what God wants for us. We naturally don't want to live as God wants for us to live. So this is actually something, this is a bit of a tell for us, that if, if, if we have an assumption about the world that our culture fully agrees with 100%, our assumption about the world is probably not biblical. Because our culture um, doesn't care about God, doesn't care about the scriptures, doesn't care about fearing God and keeping his commands. So keep an eye out for this type of stuff in your own life of like, if the culture's um, really loudly saying something and you fully agree with it, begin to question it immediately and say, okay, is this, does this actually line up with how God wants for me to live? Um, and I, I bet nine times out of 10, you're going to find it. They actually don't line up and your assumptions need to change because our culture wants us to be rebellious because it, it's, it itself is rebellious against God. And it's just the natural tendency of the human heart that's that's wrapped in sin. It's not nefarious in in this in in a cultural sense, but you know, it's not on purpose, I don't think. We can assume the best of other people, we can assume the best of non-Christians. Um who's who we can look at and say, yeah, your heart's just just been 
badly warped by sin, just as ours have. And God, the difference is God is slowly unwarping our hearts is what we believe. That's, that's the process of sanctification of becoming more holy. Being wise for salvation know, means that we know who we are in relationship to God. We know that we're rebellious. And in that rebellion, we take good things and make them God things. We take good things in our life and place them at the center of our lives instead of God. And then push back against God with all our might. And here's the thing. Our rebellion condemns us. Apart from Christ, we deserve judgment and punishment because of who God is. God is a holy God and a just God and a loving God. But all of that together means that God cannot be in the presence of sin. And so that, that leaves us with a conundrum. It leaves us with this with this. With, with, with condemnation that, that we deserve. But this is what one author, um, well, two authors, Daniel and Jonathan Aiken, write about this passage in, in one of the commentaries I was reading this week. We are under condemnation. That's the bad news. But the good news is that there is one who is greater than Solomon who has come on the scene. He is the wisdom of God. He does not just teach us messianic wisdom and fail to live up to it. He perfectly lives out the wisdom of God. And yet the one who perfectly lived out the wisdom of God took the judgment for our folly on the cross. He experienced everything we should experience for falling short of God's glory. The enemy, the curse of sin and death, will steal our hearing, steal our motor skills, steal our sight, steal our youthful vigor, but Jesus redeems us by becoming a curse for us. He took on our death. He took on three dark days in the grave, unable to hear, unable to walk, unable to see. But he did not decay into the dust. He walked away from death. Because of Christ, the decay of death is not the final word. Because of Christ, Aging is not the end. Because of Christ, life can be meaningful and youthful radiance will last in eternal life after the grave. Condemnation is not the final word. The final word is Christ. It is finished. And it is finished. He says this on the cross for our sake, taking on the penalty of our sin in our place so that we can be in right relationship with God and experience then the fullness of God, the fullness of life that God has for us as we commit our lives to him, as we trust in him for salvation, and has, as he pours out his spirit on us to transform us from the inside out. Because of Jesus, life is bursting with meaning and purpose. If only we would repent, we would turn away from our rebellion and towards God and believe in Christ for salvation so that we could recover and pursue 
the life that God intends for us, which is to enjoy, which is to live a life of joy, enjoying all good gifts that he gives as gifts with him at the center of our lives. So I don't know where you are in your walk with Jesus today, but this is something that we, I think all Christians need to hear often. Repent and believe the good news. It is finished. All of your sin, all of your brokenness, everything that separates you from God that deserves judgment and punishment has been swept away by Jesus on the cross. And now when God looks at you, he doesn't see just you. He looks at you through the lens of Christ's finished work on the cross to see a brand new you, the you that he intends for you to be. And then says, well, by, by faith, you can begin to live into that life by fearing me and obeying my commands. And we begin to live that life now so that we can live it fully into eternity. Repent and believe and have your life filled with meaning and purpose. I'm going to pray for us now that this would be true of all of us this week, everyone listening, that we, would be, that we would be a people of repentance and a people of faith who would strive to live the life of, 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 of fear and obedience that God, um, that God intends for us to live. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today and I thank you for Ecclesiastes and this constant reminder through it to think about our death so that we can take stock of our life and wherever we are in our lives help us to give us the courage to repent of our sins whether they're a day old or 10,000 days old holy spirit i i i ask that you would convict us of those places where we have sinned against you, God, uh, and, and places where we have sinned against others, and move our hearts towards being reoriented um, in, the, in the direction of you, Jesus. Help us to repent of our rebellion, of placing things at the center of our lives where they don't belong. Push those things out of the way and instead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we ask that you would place yourself at the center of our lives. We invite you to do that. But also realizing, Father, that there are those who may be listening who haven't placed their faith in you, I ask that you would give them the courage to trust you this morning, to give, your, to give their lives over to you. I pray that you would help them to experience your good gifts anew for the first time in their lives so that they could experience the joy of your salvation and kingdom 
And for those of us who have given our lives to you already, Father, I pray that you would give us a renewed sense of meaning and purpose as we seek to fear you and obey your commands in our lives. Be with us as we go into the rest of this week, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.